This podcast is sponsored by Thermo Fisher Scientific, dedicated to providing clinicians with tools to help determine whether to initiate and when to stop antibiotic therapy in patients presenting with lower respiratory tract infection and those with suspected or confirmed sepsis. The Brahms PCT assay is used in hospitals nationwide to support antibiotic stewardship and is available on multiple immunoassay platforms from BioMeru, Roche, Abbott, Fujirabio, Diaz-Serin, Siemens, and Thermo Fisher Scientific. Learn more at thermoscientific.com backslash about sepsis. Hello and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ludwig Lin. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Philip Schutz, Professor of Internal Medicine, Endocrinology, Diabetes, and Metabolism at the University of Basel, Switzerland. This conversation started out uh, with an article published by Dr. Schutz in Critical Care Medicine titled Efficacy and Safety of Procalcitonin Guidance in Patients with Suspected or Confirmed Sepsis. Dr. Schutz and I thought that we would broaden the discussion to talk about various articles that have been published in the literature about procalcitonin and how that impacts the clinician's treatment of sepsis. So thank you for joining us, Dr. Schutz. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Let's get some technical aspects out of the way. Do you have any disclosures to report? Yes. Well, um, I've been, uh, I've received uh, funding uh, from uh, different diagnostic companies um, which was um, based on, on trial funding, um, but also for, you know, giving lectures um, where, where uh, I had some uh, funding for my hospital to cover that. Okay. Let's begin by talking about some generalities about pro- procalcitonin. What is the mechanism of procalcitonin expression and why is it so useful in terms of diagnosing sepsis? Well, that's a good, a very good question. So there, I mean, tra- traditionally, we have different um, markers in the blood that increase upon inflammation and infection, uh, starting with a white blood count, which is an older marker or um, blood sedimentation rate. And also in Europe, we are used to measuring C-reactive protein, but all these markers seem to be more inflammatory markers and increasing with uh, different types of um, systemic inflammatory syndromes. Now, procalcitonin um, has been shown to be, mo- to be more specific um, towards bacterial infections. And so studies have shown that in bacterial infections, procalcitonin increases uh, as part of the um, antibacterial response. However, in inflammatory or viral infection, procalcitonin does not increase or just slightly increases. And so the ability of procalcitonin to differentiate between bacterial and non-bacterial causes of inflammation um, has been shown to be much superior to the more traditional biomarkers. Um, I think another um, interesting point is the kinetics, uh, which have shown that procalcitonin um, is more timely, uh, kind of showing the reaction to infection and shows a quicker increase and decrease compared to C-reactive protein, for example. So it really helps to, first of all, assess the risk of bacterial infection, but also it, it's very helpful in tracking the response uh, of a patient to uh, 
antibiotic treatment towards infections and helps to give another view, um, a host response view on um, the infection status of a patient that is treated with antibiotics. The article that uh, inspired us to have this conversation uh, published in Critical Care Medicine, Efficacy and Safety of Procalcitonin Guidance in Patients with Suspected or Confirmed Sepsis. That was one of the first articles to really uh, do a meta-analysis on on this topic. Can you uh, paraphrase for us your findings and the strengths that you think uh, the article provided us? Yes, well, um, I think, um, you know, a lot of studies have looked at the potential of procalcitonin, um, not only to diagnose bacterial infection, but as as a marker to stewardship antibiotics. Um, and so different studies have compared the strategy where procalcitonin was included in the decision to uh, start or stop antibiotics with just using antibiotics based on control in a control group, so based on just um, a clinical uh, routine. Um, so most of these trials, um, they have shown that actually using procalcitonin Um, leads to a lower antibiotic exposure. So it reduces really um, the amount of antibiotic days per patient. Um, However, um, physicians uh, were scared about safety of this. So of course, if you use less antibiotics, shorter courses of antibiotics, you could um, theoretically have, you know, an increase in your sepsis associated risks of mortality or treatment failure. Um, and so the strength of the meta-analysis um, by uh, grouping all a lot of data um, is to have, you know, better estimates on safety. And so this particular piece um, was done as part of a FDA claim for procalcitonin. Um, and uh, the goal was to um, investigate whether the use of procalcitonin uh, is safe and does not result in an increase in adverse outcomes or, or, or mortality in patients with sepsis. Um, and so um, we were able to um, to gather 10 different trials in about 3,500 patients. Um, we found that procalcitonin-guided treatment resulted in a, in a lowering of antibiotic usage. And within this article, we also found that there was no risk associated with the use of, of procalcitonin um, and we did not find any increase in mortality or treatment failure or something like that. Um, and so based on this article and also another paper, um, which was not done for ICU patients, but for lower acuity patients, uh, the FDA um, approved procalcitonin uh, specifically for the purpose of antibiotic treatment, which I think was a very important step uh, so that, you know, um, this uh, marker, um, you know, could could find its way into the clinic. There were a couple of different thresholds used by the various studies that you looked at in this paper in terms of what's considered as a uh, clinically significant threshold. And people also use different thresholds for stopping uh, antibiotic treatment. Can, can you discuss that a little bit and tell us which values you personally use in your clinical practice for dealing with antibiotics? Well, that's a, yeah, that's a very important question, I think. Um, so the, the trials have uh, kind of used two different approaches. 
So trials that have looked at, let's say, lower risk or lower acuity patients. So let's say a patient in primary care or a patient on a medical ward, um, they have uh, focused on a cutoff point of procalcitonin of 0 0.25, um, indicating that, that um, PCT levels were below this cutoff of 0 0.25. There was a very low likelihood of bacterial infection. And so um, the recommendation was in such a patient not to use antibiotic um, if also there was no strong clinical suspicion of bacterial infection. Now, for patients that are very in a high acuity, so patients with sepsis in an intensive care setting, um, so for these patients, um, studies have found that um, independent of you know having or not having a bacterial infection, all these biomarkers um, and these cytokines show um, a, a little bit of increase. So a typical patient with uh, sepsis would be expected to have a much higher PCT level. Um, and so for this setting, the cutoff of 0 0.5 um, was found to be, um, uh, you know, more helpful. So a patient um, with a, a sepsis syndrome that is a bacterial sepsis and his PCT is below 0 0.5 has a very low likelihood of really having a bacterial sepsis. Now, still for the ICU patients, um, and because we have learned that initial treatment with antibiotics is so crucial in this situation. So the trials have not um, used procalcitonin um, to guide the initiation of treatment, but have been used really to, um, to, to uh, you know, as a stopping criterion. So typically in these trials, patients with sepsis would be included. They would receive the whole sepsis bundle, including antibiotics. Um, and then PCT would be used to monitor the patients. And if PCT dropped below um, normal values, so this would be below 0 0.5 for aseptic patients, um, then the recommendation would be that this patient no longer need an antibiotics because his infection is, is well controlled. So the recommendation was to stop antibiotics. Now, in some patients, the initial PCT level is very high. So let's say if his initial PCT level is 100, it will just, by kinetics, take some time for his level to come to normal values. Um, and so for this uh, situation, um, also a drop in PCT by 80 or 90% of a peak level would indicate a very strong reduction in antibiotic, uh, in, in bacterial load. And the rec recommendation was to then stop antibiotics. So for the ICU patients, the, the, the recommendation was to stop antibiotics either if PCT was lower than 0 0.5 or dropped by at least um, 80 to 90 percent from its peak level. So whichever happens first would be the clinical time point at which you stop antibiotic treatment. Exactly. So so most trials and also most recommendations um, today are really, um, first of all, to look at the patient, to look at his clinical response. And if he has shown a favorable clinical response and either PCT dropped below 0 0.5 or by at least 80 to 90% from the peak, then this would be um, a strong indication to stop antibiotics because most of the um, infection um, is is well controlled, um, and so you can really shorten the the durations of antibiotics in these patients. I think that's very simple and very straightforward for um, all of us to have in mind. 
you and I were talking before we started recording about some of the subsequent trials that have come out to discuss procalcitonin and its efficacy. Um, it, it, it sounds like things are still a little bit in flux about all of this, or, or, or maybe it's not. How, how, how do you feel about the current state of procalcitonin in terms of um, the clinical studies? I think it's still a challenging um, topic. Um, first of all, uh, sepsis is a challenging diagnosis because sepsis is just, it's a syndrome with different types of infections included. Um, and these trials are very, um, you know, are very much dependent on a um, kind of a, a good use of this biomarker. And so there obviously uh, protocol adherence and compliance um, with these algorithms is a big issue um, in, in trials to replicate these, uh, these results. So there is a number of real-life data where investigators compared, you know, hospitals before and after they implemented procalcitonin stewardship programs. Um, and these trials, um, you know, some of these trials found very strong, you know, reductions in the use of antibiotics, also in lengths of hospital stay and also in clinical outcomes that, you know, were favorable after the, the introduction of, of PCT. Um there is other trials, and, and one trial that has gained a lot of attention um, is a large U.S. trial that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine a couple of um, months ago. Um, and this trial did not find a very strong impact of PCT, and, and that, that, that was mainly um, explained um, in the trial that, first of all, uh, the control group um, was very strictly controlled. So um, physicians used very little antibiotics in the control group. Um, but also physicians had, you know, low experience with PCT. And in the majority um, of cases, they did not, you know, follow these PCT rules, probably because they lacked experience with the marker. And so, um, you know, I think this trials, uh, th this particular trial is also important because it also shows that, you know, any type of strategy to lower antibiotics needs a lot of education. It needs a lot of effort uh, put into it. And it's not just, you cannot just in the hospital bring on procalcitonin and expect to have, you know, wonderful results. I think it really needs a team that has, you know, some experience and needs a lot of education and it needs, you know, all physicians to kind of um, use this marker in a, in a good way um, and with the aim to reduce antibiotics. And I think if you do that, then, then you can expect to have the results seen um, maybe in the European trials. I think that's a very uh, interesting point that you're making about that. And it makes me want to follow up with a uh, philosophical discussion about clinical judgment versus protocol. Because it almost sounds like from what you're saying just now that perhaps less individual clinical decisions uh, would benefit antibiotic stewardship. I, I guess what I'm asking is a more strict adherence to a treatment protocol using procalcitonin might achieve uh, better results. I, is that correct in terms of what you're thinking? Well, yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting point. Um, and also it's interesting to maybe, um, you know, compare uh, the, the U.S. to the European setting a little bit. Um, because in, 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 in the U.S., um, you know, if, if you go into an emergency department, 
um, and you are flagged with diagnosis of pneumonia, um, it is very likely that you will be treated right away with antibiotics and the whole uh, pneumonia bundle, um, because that's you know that's one of the quality things you do in an emergency department with a patient with pneumonia. And you know, in my practice, this has changed since I used procalcitonin because some of these patients that come in looking like pneumonia because they have maybe dyspnea or cough or even an infiltrate, you know, they end up to have a very different final diagnosis if you don't believe, you know, from the start that it is pneumonia. Um, and some of these patients just have viral pneumonia or something like that. You know, some of these patients have heart failure or, you know, another uh, pulmonary p- pathology that, that would mimic pneumonia. And so, you know, I think it's it's a little bit another approach, whether you just go kind of follow bundles and say, okay, this is sepsis bundle, pneumonia bundle, let's just treat them like that. Or whether you kind of use the marker to um, reflect your own clinical judgment on the patient. You know, and so in the end, if I, let's say I have a patient and I say, well, it could be pneumonia, but I'm not convinced. And this patient has a very low PCT level. You know, I will not treat this patient with antibiotics, but I will first, you know, try to find, you know, another diagnosis. Now, if there is another patient and he has a clear picture of pneumonia, you know, I'm not so much interested in the initial PCT level because, you know, my clinical judgment will be stronger in this situation. Um, and of course, if, I, if I'm a new starter with procalcitonin, you know, I, I will have a different judgment compared to if I do that for five or 10 years, because I've seen a lot of patients then um, not being treated with antibiotic, but still improving. And this gives me, you know, kind of strength in my clinical evaluation. And so it's always kind of a, um, you know, it's always a, a moment in time where you, where you do your clinical judgment. And so the trials, uh, you know, when you look at historically at these trials, it, it also is, is a different um, situation 10 years ago, five years ago, and today. Because 10 years ago, we, we believed that, you know, all patients with pneumonia should be treated with antibiotics for 14 days because that was just a rule. I think now, and, you know, based on PCT trials and other trials, we know that a lot of patients would just need five or seven days. And so also the, the, the clinical routine and the control group, you know, has changed uh, during this time. Okay, so let me try to help all of us summarize the, your, your thinking about this. So it sounds like what you're saying is we should think about applying clinical judgment in terms of whether a patient has a high likelihood of having a true bacterial infection when they present. If I, for example, feel like somebody has a very high pretest probability of having a bacterial infection, star antibiotics, and then subsequent to that, use more of a protocol in terms of following the procalcitonin levels to determine when we should stop antibiotics. If somebody has a clinical presentation that I'm not certain is a bacterial infection, actually then take a step back, look at their initial procalcitonin level, see if that's elevated, and then use that as a guide in terms of whether I should start antibiotics or not. And as the levels drop, be more decisive in terms of when to stop antibiotic rather than using the traditional thoughts of having like a 14 or 21 day course. Is that a good reflection of your philosophy about it? Yes, I think that's, you know, that's perfectly it, you know, and I would compare that to the D-dimer. 
So if you had a patient coming in with a very high likelihood of a, you know, pulmonary uh, embolism, um, you know, you sh you're not supposed to do the D-dimer because you're going to end up doing a CT scan anyway. So it doesn't help you to rule out in this situation the, the PE, right? So, so uh, you know, a patient where you have a lower or a moderate, you know, pretest probability, then the D-dimer is a great test to rule out PE and, and, and not do CT scan in these patients. And so I think it's similar for PCT. And I think you did a, a wonderful uh, summary right now. And, and so it, it is supposed to be used in conjunction with clinical judgment. Um, but this makes the trials a bit more difficult, you know, because the clinical judgment is different based on your background, on your country, on your, you know, legal issues and things like that. And um, so this may explain some of the heterogeneity that we have seen among the different trials. Right. So what you're saying about that. I wanted to ask you a little bit more also about uh, the use of biomarkers for sepsis, because we're talking about procalcitonin as a pretty accurate reflection of a bacterial infection. What about fungal infections and viral infections? Do we do we have the possibility of using biomarkers to track those infections? Well, um, you know, the, the, there's several studies showing that um, if you have... Um, a viral infection, let's say, of, of your lungs, so viral pneumonia, um, PCT remains much lower compared to bacterial infections. So I think it is one, you know, it is one approach. If you have a patient with a typical pneumonia and it is, you know, influenza and, you know, um, season and his PCT remains very low, that uh, I think in your differential diagnosis, viral pneumonia should be very on the top of your list. Um, and also, you should consider using, um, using you know, antiviral treatment in these patients early um, because that's a very likely diagnosis. Also, you know, if you have an immunosuppressed patient, um, someone that has, you know, a, a probability for fungal infections um, and his PCT doesn't increase as much as you would expect, um, you know, also for this patient, fungal infection becomes more likely. So I would say PCT, a low PCT um, is also a good indicator that, you know, a non-bacterial pathogen is causing the, the, the infection. And, and so, you know, um, I think, uh, again, it's clinical judgment plus the interpretation of the biomarker level that will point you to, you know, rather bacterial, typical bacterial infection, or, you know, you should think about viral or fungal type of infection for these patients. Okay, that's a great suggestion for all of us for now. I uh, I would love to one of these days see see us to be able to use a objective marker for for viral and fungal infections as well. So I guess we'll just have to uh, to, to to wait for that. Yeah, well, I, I you know I I think uh, I mean for viral infections, I mean we do have PCR and we do have some some you know very accurate tests. I think the main issue with, particularly with uh, pulmonary infection, um, you know, is that you're never sure whether it's just a single infection or whether there is super infection. Um, and I've seen, you know, a lot of discussions with patients coming in, you know, they have a typical uh, influenza infection. Um, and then, uh, you know, two, three, four days later, they get, you know, they get again, you know, high, high fevers and the clinical um status uh, deteriorates um, and in the end they have just um, super infection also you know we we and others have looked at patients um, uh, with respiratory tract infection pneumonia 
And if you do, you know, all your PCR tests um, in, a, in many of these patients, you will find they have, you know, both. They have viral infection plus bacterial infection. Um, and, you know, and it's believed that first a viral infection can damage your respiratory, you know, um, system. And then, you know, you will have just a normal bacteria living there you know, doing a bacterial superinfection. So I think this whole topic um, is just very difficult um, because there is just normal flora, there is pa pathogenic, you know, um, uh, organisms, and really understanding which of these um, different organisms is um, causing the trouble is, re I think it's very challenging. And so in the end, I believe that, you know, having a host response marker that shows you, you know, how, how, Kind of the, the response of your patient, but on the, at, at the same time, uh, looking at the microbiology and looking, you know, what 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 did you find um, in the blood or in in the sputum of your patient, um, and then putting together all the different pieces of this puzzle. I think this gives you probably the best um, information of you know what's truly going on in your patient. Okay, what is next for you in terms of helping? the medical community to validate the use of procalcitonin as a biomarker in bacterial infections? Well, you know, most of the trials today have focused on the patient with respiratory infections um, and patients with sepsis. You know, a lot of other types of infections, so let's say chronic infections, abdominal infections, renal infections, uh, kidney uh, infections, and things like that have not been, you know, well studied in trials. So I think this will be very important to also, um, you know, go go on these more different uh, types of infections. And I think one of the, the big um, advantages of PCT or, or just, you know, in general, the biomarker strategy is that it helps you to move away from this fixed dose treatment to, you know, individual use of antibiotics. And when I look, you know, what, what we're doing to patients with endocarditis or other types of chronic infections, we have very long, you know, fixed doses because, you know, these doses have shown to be, you know, effective in trials. But I think all of us are aware that, you know, individual patients may not, may need longer treatment doses or, you know, not as long treatment doses. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I'm convinced that also for chronic infections, you know, the biomarker strategy could help to be more, you know, individual, um, individualized with your treatment um, and, and overall help to be more to, to, to make better antibiotic cho uh, choices. Okay. And how quickly do you expect the clinical picture to correlate with the procalcitonin decrease in somebody who is responding to the correct antibiotics? So normally we see about um, about a 50% decrease of procalcitonin um, every other day um, if they're responding well to um, antibiotics. And so, you know, after four, six days, um, I mean, you should see um, a really strong decrease. There was one um, large US-based trial, the MOSES trial, that looked at, you know, the value of a PCT decrease over 72 hours. Um, and uh, they found that if PCT did not drop by 80% over 72 hours, the mortality risk is almost doubled compared to patients um, which had a, you know, a reduction by 80% or more within 72 hours. So this may be a good uh, kind of benchmark uh, what to expect. 
Um, and then let's say if you have a patient with, with chronic renal failure or acute renal failure, um, you know, in these patients, PCT kinetics may be a bit slower, but then, um, you know, this is about what, what you should expect. And if PCT within, you know, 72 hours do not show a decrease by, by this amount or, you know, even um, much less than that, you know, you should suspect that there is, um, you know, some sort of uncontrolled situation in your patient. Mm -hmm. And that has prognostic implications and perhaps means that a different therapeutic should be tried. Exactly. I think you should go back to the patient. You should, um, you know, redo your diagnostic approach. Just make sure it's uh, really um, you have covered the, the right pathogens and there is not an abscessy or something in, in the lung. Um, just make, you know, kind of the basic um, set and the basic assessment of your patient. Um, and just make sure that's, that everything, you know, is, you, is done to the best of your ability. Um, and then in some patients, uh, you may decide to escalate your antibiotics because you may not be covering, you know, the right pathogens. Right. That's a really nice clinical pearl, I think, for all of us to take away from this conversation, in addition to the um, sort of general talk about procalcitonin that we've had. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about your studies in this field and to talk about the other studies that have been done and why their results don't necessarily you know, follow each other and about how to perhaps uh, use this biomarker in the future. So thank you so much, Dr. Schutz. Um, this concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast. For the iCritical Care podcast team, I'm Ludwig Lin and Thanks again for uh, joining us. Take care. This podcast is sponsored by Thermo Fisher Scientific, dedicated to providing clinicians with tools to help determine whether to initiate and when to stop antibiotic therapy in patients presenting with lower respiratory tract infection and those with suspected or confirmed sepsis. The Brahms PCT assay is used in hospitals nationwide to support antibiotic stewardship and is available on multiple immunoassay platforms from BioMeru, Roche, Abbott, Fujirabio, Diaz-Serin, Siemens, and Thermo Fisher Scientific. Learn more at thermoscientific.com backslash about sepsis. Ludwig Lin, MD, is an intensivist and anesthesiologist at Summit Altibates Medical Center in the Bay Area in Northern California and is a consulting professor at Stanford University, where he teaches a seminar on the psychosocial and economic ramifications of critical illness. Dr. Lin did his medical training, anesthesia residency, and critical care medicine fellowship at the University of California, San Francisco. He has served as faculty at both Stanford University as well as the University of California, San Francisco, where he was a professor and the medical director of critical care at San Francisco General Hospital. He has interests in patient-family communication as well as education. Being a SCCM podcast host reminds Dr. Lin of his undergraduate days as a news broadcaster for his college radio station, KZSU. Join or renew your membership with SCCM, the only multi-professional society dedicated exclusively to the advancement of critical care. Speak with a customer service representative or visit www.sccm.org membership for more information. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members.